uh, episode of Theology Doesn't Suck. As you can see, I'm uh, off to a great start. Andy, I don't know why you allow me to do intros because I always blow it. You Every- probably shouldn't talk at all, actually. <laughs> we should probably just keep you silent. Yeah, our viewership might increase <laughs> if uh, yeah. if the heresy stops flowing out of my lips, so mm-hmm. that would probably be good. Um, that would be helpful. At least overall. But anyway, I'm Josh, and uh, with me as always is Andy. Uh, hopefully you're doing well, Andy. I'm doing great, man. Living the life. I got off work early today, and uh, I ate some Lada Burger. You don't know what that is, I just realized. In New Mexico, there's this place called Blake's Lada Burger. Okay. And it's really good. That's Sweet. that's all I can give you. But <laughs> Yeah, I for sure don't have that here in Florida. Um, <laughs> but anyway, some positive news, uh, at least on my side of things. The Washington Capitals clinched a playoff spot last night, so in case you didn't know that, now you that's know. Very exciting. And the Avs are scrambling for their lives, so that's sad. Yeah, but they're in a playoff spot, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, right now. Hopefully the Coyotes <laughs> lose tonight. Yeah, oh, for Only sure. time will tell. Sweet. Only time anyway, will tell. Uh, I think probably what would be best is if we went ahead and jumped right in uh, tonight because we actually have a special guest with us today. And not only is it a special guest, but it is a super special guest because it's the first time super. we have had a female guest on our show. And so she is paving the way for women paving everywhere. <laughs> so, this is a big opportunity for women. Yeah, it's a I'm huge. Super ex- <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited. Anyway, uh, we have with us uh, Bonnie Christian. Bonnie, did I say your last name properly? Yes, that is. It is just like the religion, but with a K instead of a CH. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're super excited uh, that you've taken the time out of your day to, to chat with two uh, random people you've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Um, and specifically, uh, just so our listeners know, Bonnie has written a super fantastic book. It's called A Flexible Faith, Rethinking What It Means to Follow Jesus Today. And actually, Bonnie, uh, if I could fangirl here for a second, I'm actually using your book right now to teach my students. I'm a youth pastor. And um, they're loving it. It's been super fantastic, super awesome. We've had a lot of really great conversations. And so thank you. Uh, you know, right out of the bat, just thank you for, for your work and, and the time you put into that. It's um, super helpful. Yeah, and thank you. I mean, I part of the sort of vision that I had for it was like that classroom um, discussion sort of context. And especially, I think, for like the late high school early college years where a lot of times you're exploring these theological questions and like I know for myself at that age I would have loved to have had a book like this to be able to get into these things and I did not um so I'm happy that your youth group does (laughs) yeah they they're loving it it's been really great and actually um the topic we're going to talk about today is actually uh the question we covered in your book this past Wednesday and out of all the conversations we've had so far, it was the one that generated the most interest, um, which was very surprising to me because we talked about some big ones. Like we did the our gay relationship sinful um, and we did, you know, does God really plan everything that happens? And uh, yeah, they were they were great conversations as well. But um, like there was just something that struck a nerve uh, with students and leaders alike for the. The question that we're, we'll talk about here a little bit later, but if you would, uh, real quick, could you just kind of introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, so I'm a writer, and most of the writing that I do, uh, sort of on like the day-to-day or week-to-week basis, is more about news and, and politics, current events. Um, I'm a contributing editor 
at an outlet called The Week, and then I'm also a fellow at a little foreign policy shop called Defense Priorities. Um, and so for both of those, I do a lot of um, commentary on you know things that are happening in foreign policy and politics more broadly. And then uh, sometimes I, I do end up writing on um, sort of the theology or the intersection of like religion and politics. And then A Flexible Faith is my first book. It came out uh, not quite a year ago. Um, and that is, you know, much more in the, the theology proper sort of realm. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, and I, I went to, to seminary, um, <laughs> if that's a good thing to mention. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like a, a, a good thing to bring up when you're talking about, you know, having written a, a book about theology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always helpful. Add some credibility there. And you actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did your... Is it your master thesis on the different atonement I theories? Did, yeah. Is that correct? Um, I was talking about um, the the different atonement theories, sort of like historically, and then also um, some really interesting things that theologians in um, different contexts are doing today, like in Latin America and in Black liberation theology. Um, some new ideas that they're bringing to that conversation. And Bonnie, actually, also just a little bit. A little bit more on the background info. Could you give us a little bit, maybe, of your like religious or theological background too? Kind of what tradition you come from, and maybe like if you're involved with the church now, kind of sure, things like yeah. that. Yeah. So I grew up. Um, <clears throat> we moved around a lot, so I went to a number of different churches, but generally like Southern Baptist or non-denominational, where the theology is basically the same as Southern Baptist, but you know you don't have the the church sort of infrastructure. Um, we were very briefly Methodist, but that didn't last long. Um, so so <laughs> right that's, that's sort of the background. I went to uh, Christian schools for most of my, like, you know, uh, elementary, middle school, high school education um, that tended to be non-denominational. So I was, you know, hanging out with kids from, from other traditions, but really didn't have a good grasp on... You know what? What's different about them? Why? Why is their tradition different from mine? Like, what's the relationship? Um, I think Protestants, especially, were not great at at covering church history and, and understanding, you know, where we come from in that regard. Um, today, I'm a Mennonite uh, and in, involved in a Mennonite community <laughs> um, here in the Twin Cities, um, and so in some ways, that's kind of a a big leap and in in some ways there's you know a fair amount in common with what i grew up with Hmm. yeah cool thank you and so um speaking of mennonites josh and i'm 100 (laughs) percent sure if this is where you land bonnie i always have to do a a transition so i we're gonna all do this one um speaking of mennonites one of the things they're well known for is uh pacifism uh you know Nonviolence. I don't know. I know you don't like using those two terms synonymously, Josh, which we can talk about. But um, and today, the question we are going to be discussing—I don't remember exactly how it was phrased in the title of the chapter of the book—but basically, like uh, violence or nonviolence within Christian theology. Yeah, can um, Christians be violent? Is there the you question go. Can Christians be violent? That's yeah. good. That'll make a good episode title too. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, I think you guys, kind of, Josh, you kind of were hoping to start this out. If, Bonnie, if you would, um, just by uh, giving us kind of 
the quick overview of, of what you go over in your chapter, kind of the different major positions and some of their strengths and weaknesses sure. <clears throat> on this yeah, question? So, um, in every chapter, it starts out with the questions, uh, you know, sort of on this scale, I guess, of, of big theological issues. <laughs> um, so, and then usually <laughs> there's anywhere from like two to, to four answers that are within like the realm of, of, of historic Orthodox Christianity. So in this chapter, there's three answers. Um, the first one is nonviolence, and this is what you would find in historic peace churches like the, the Mennonites or um, also Quakers, Amish, um, Church of the Brethren, a few others. And so the view here is essentially that when, when Jesus says, you know, um, don't return evil for evil, don't take revenge, live at peace with everyone, and so far as it depends on you, these sorts of things, um, that that's what it means um that it's, we should be, ta- be taking that in a, a quite straightforward way and and not engage in violence against other people um the key thing i think to understand with the nonviolence position is that um though you can call it pacifism um it's not passive it's not you know just let evil people do whatever they want and let you know abusers abuse people or let murderers murder people um that with with Jesus, we often see when he's presented with what seems like um, a binary choice. Um, so in this case, something like uh, you know, kill or be killed. Jesus will will come up with a third way, with another creative solution that that does not end up doing something violent to the other person, or and also does not end up with suffering violence yourself. And so, Christian nonviolence. Um, is, is very much about pursuing that third option, thinking creatively, responding to evil in a way that is proactive and in a way that protects the innocent, but without responding with, with the same violence that's being perpetrated. So um, the nonviolence position is what you see a lot in the very earliest years of the church. Um, many of the very early theologians talk about this and, and endorse this view. And then a few hundred years in, um, particularly as we get theologians like Augustine, um, the transition from from the what we call the Greek fathers, guys who wrote in Greek, to the Latin fathers, guys who wrote in Latin, um, we get the development of what we now call just war theory. And just war theory has really become the dominant viewpoint, um, not only within the church, but also just sort of in Western society in general. Like every time we talk about foreign policy, mm-hmm. and I encounter this a lot because I, I write about foreign policy, um, the whole framework is just war theory. Like, even if you don't know that name, that's just like the framework of how we talk about violence and war in our culture. And so it's, it's a, essentially um, asking two questions about how we can be, how we can determine um, when it is appropriate and just to use violence. And then once we're using it, what are sort of the appropriate limits to, to keep that justice going, right? And so the first um, question asks things like, you know, do we have a just cause to fight? Like, are, are, and typically that's going to be that we're defending ourselves as opposed to attacking someone. Um, are we fighting under a legitimate authority? Have we exhausted all the other options? Um, and then the second question would be things like, um, are we avoiding hurting innocent people? Are we avoiding civilian casualties as much as possible? Um, are we treating prisoners of war humanely? Are we using a proportionate level of violence? So like, you know, if, if you have 
one guy gets shot, you don't respond with an atomic bomb. Um, and so sure. that's, that's just war theory, the, the general gist of it. Um, and, and as I said, it's a very dominant way of thinking. Whether you're a Christian or not, this idea has, has become so influential, it's hard to overstate it. And then the third view um, is what we can call holy war. And typically, you do not find a lot of people these days who will outright say, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm for holy war. Um, it's it's <laughs> <Sure>. not super <laughs> popular. Um, and the idea is essentially that, uh, you know, sometimes violence is not um, just a necessary evil the way that just war theory views it, but sometimes it's actually a, a good thing in a way that we serve God. And so the classic example of holy war would be something like the Crusades, where you have the Pope saying, you know, we need to go off and reclaim the Holy Land. If you go fight these wars and kill these people, you're going to be absolved from some of your sins for this. Um, this is what God wants you to do. The, the slogan of one of the slogans of the Crusades was Deus Volt, which means in Latin, God wills it. Um, and today, like I said, you, you typically don't find people who are going to like openly espouse this view, but I do think it has some lingering influence, especially um, the way that we will talk about being called to war, called to do violence. Um, the, it's not usually explicitly stated that God is calling us, you know, to do this fight, um, but the assumption is that, that that's where the calling is coming from. Yeah, would, would you say maybe that kind of ideology shows up even in almost like a secular mm -hmm. form with some of like the American wars, uh, like interfering in, in like other governments and like interfering with other countries, in, especially in the Middle East yeah, and things like that? Yeah, you absolutely hear it. Like, and, it, and it comes, it's, this is not even a partisan thing. Like presidents on both sides of the aisle will say like, you know, our country is called to combat this evil. Um, and that that sense of like mm -hmm. God is calling us and they don't usually say God but it's you know the calling has to come from somewhere that sense of like divine right. calling to violence is really much more from the holy war tradition than it is from just war theory which is like mm -hmm. sometimes we might have to do this violence but we're reluctant about it we're you know only doing it because it's the la the only thing that, that is left to be done yeah sure. And also, when it comes to just war theory, um, I felt something interesting that you pointed out in your book was that if just war theory is applied uh, in its strictest form, um, that the majority, the overwhelming majority of wars that have been fought you know, throughout history, none of them qualify <laughs> as just war yeah, theory you, or ju uh, just war. If you war. do a, like a very strict application of just war theory, it does, it, it wouldn't get you quite to like, you know, what would happen if you're doing nonviolence, but it would come pretty close, like a... A, a really um, applying it with integrity and applying it very strictly will result in, in very few wars being considered just. In practice, it is not applied that way, um, and it is used, uh, you know, the, the, the answers are fudged and, and the, or, the, or some questions are ignored, um, and so in, in practice it becomes a license for doing more war and more violence more often than it functions as a restraint. Hmm. Um, so <clears throat> one kind of clarifying question I wanted to throw out early, as we're getting into this discussion too is uh, do you see a distinction between uh, how Christians should view like personal violence and then governmental uh, or like institutional violence? Because so coming from the reform tradition, I would see a strict, like a very clear distinction between 
how we are allowed to or supposed to uh, engage or not engage violently ever as individuals versus like the authority that the government has to engage in a war. So do you see a distinction there or do you kind of see this like these theories just apply kind of across the board in any sphere yeah, of life? Yeah, so what you brought up gets at like the idea that this question is so closely related to another chapter that I have which is on like church and state relations and how should they relate. Um, hmm. Personally, I would say both yes and no to that question. Um, no in the sense that like I think a core function of government, like sort of one of the definitional pieces of government is that the state uses violence for defense. Um, like the, the having a military and doing defense is, is pretty basic to what a government is. Um, and so in that sense, there is a distinction. But I would also say no in that um, as Christians, I would argue that uh, the the commands to nonviolence that that I think are, are pretty clear in the New Testament apply all the time, and so the way that works out is, yeah, the government does get to do those those violent things, but we don't get to participate in that. Um, so I don't expect the hmm. government to abide by like Christian rules, but it also means that there are a lot of government jobs that I can't do. Okay, interesting. <clears throat> cool. Thanks mm -hmm. for clarifying on that. Yeah, that's that's a really helpful uh, distinction. That question, that exact question, actually came up when we were talking uh, with when when I was talking with my students. Um, they asked that, <clears throat> and that's kind of um, that's kind of where I I fell as well. I just so you know, because Andy said he's from a more reformed tradition. Uh, I I would more so label myself like kind of Anabaptisty would would be. Um, Anabaptist-y. So yeah, Anabaptist-y, because I'm, I don't know, I can be all over the place, but Maybe you should go to a Mennonite in, church. In general. Well, yeah, that's, I would actually really enjoy that. Um, <clears throat> and actually, the college that I went to uh, had ties with uh, the Brethren in Christ, BIC churches. Um, and so, actually, that's where um, my nonviolent uh, tendencies and, and perspective actually comes from. Uh, was during my studies of theology in college because um, I went in very, very different um, than what I left as, and I am happy about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, uh, as far as, um, I mean, I can assume, and I'm sure Andy can assume, but just in case our listeners can't assume, what, what position uh, would you fall into and why, yeah, Bonnie? Um, so, uh, as, a, as a Mennonite, which is sort of a a subset of anabaptism. <laughs> um, I am in the nonviolence camp, yep. um, if that wasn't super obvious already. Um, and I, I, <laughs> as I share in the book, this is not, you know, how I was raised, and it was not, um, it was not necessarily obvious for me or like easy to come to. Um, for a long time, I did want to make um, make exceptions, like when Jesus said, "Love your enemies." I wanted to say, like, "All right, well, so." You know that seems straightforward but here's what it really means because obviously you know if somebody's trying to hurt me I should do violence back to them um, and so the, the the Mennonite tradition has this thing called um, a hermeneutic of obedience and the idea is that um, mm. it's we understand the Bible best and most clearly when we're coming to it prepared to obey it um, and so 
I did not know that phrase at the time when I was sort of exploring this issue and changing my mind on the subject, but in retrospect, I think that that was um, a part of what was going on, that I, I had to, to really accept that like Jesus did not need my help in explaining what he meant when he said this stuff, and that you know he, he was already communicating it better and, and, and as clearly as he wanted to communicate it. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, this distinction about uh, Christian pacifism not being passive, that I think was a, a big, coming to understand that was a big part of changing my mind on the subject because I had this real unfortunate, and I mentioned this in the book, I had this really unfortunate uh, introduction to, to nonviolence in the form of this collection of Mennonite short stories. And I've tried to find this book online. I think I did find it once, like as an adult. Um, and these stories are terrible. Like they're a terrible introduction. Like they're they're a lot of them are from like the American, like Western frontier. And it'll be things like you know this family has settled in some Native American territory, and like the Native American tribe is not cool with that. And they come, and the family just like lets them, like the parents just let themselves, and all their kids get scalped and they die. And it's like, oh my word! Like is this? Your your case for for Christian nonviolence, just dying horrible yeah. deaths and just like waiting and praying in your cabin for people to come kill you. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So finding out that that it you know Christian nonviolence is not just waiting for people to come kill you um, and your children in in terrible ways, uh, and that it is this very like active and creative way of of pushing back against evil without resorting to evil's tactics was a, a huge thing for me in coming to understand um, that that this is not only something that's that I think is commanded, but also something that's not like crazy irrational to even contemplate accepting. Sure. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one of the stories too that you shared that. Uh, that I really enjoy, and it's a story actually uh, that I first encountered in a book called Naked and a Baptism, uh, was that story you shared of uh, Dirk Williams, is his name correct, I mm -hmm. think? And it was something like around 1569, uh, he was arrested, he was thrown into to prison in a castle. Um, he escaped said prison uh, by you know creating a makeshift uh, rope out of rags that he tied together, and as he was uh, fleeing, um, he actually had across like a frozen pond and or lake whatever and uh the guard one of the guards chasing him fell through the ice and without hesitation uh williams turns around and rescues the guard um but then he is not exonerated he is not you know honored anything like that instead he's thrown right back in prison and then a couple months later uh he was executed by uh like being burnt at the stake basically um and so I opened up our, our conversation with that, with that story um, and kind of the, the question that you leave in your book there at the end of that story, like, um, you know, was he a fool or, you know, was he acting on uh, conviction? I, and obviously that comes uh, based off of uh, your perspective. Um, but I think that's a really powerful story. Um, and that's one that moved me personally. Um, you know, especially coming from the, the perspective of, of nonviolence. Yeah, and I think stories like that are also a good reminder that, like, as much as I say, like, you know, nonviolence, I believe, is the, 
the right perspective, like I'm convicted that this is what I should be aiming for. Like, I, I can't say with confidence that if I was in his position that I would, you know, turn around and go help <laughs> that guy out. Um, sure. And so, yeah, it, I think it's a reminder and a challenge that um, with, a, with a position like this that in many ways seems so extreme and so strange and like, why would you sign up for this? Um, it is something that we are trying to cultivate a character that would respond that way. Um, and it's not something that, you know, happens overnight. It's not, um, it's not even necessarily something that, that I can guarantee that, you know, in a crazy situation like that, that I, I would respond in, in that way, but that, that that's my hope and that's my, my aim to, to be able to, to sort of have that feel natural um, even though there's a sense in which it's extremely unnatural. Sure. Yeah. One, um, one thing that I think of too, I mean, just like extreme situations would be like, if something were to happen to like, you know, I was out, you know, walking, uh, the streets with my wife, Noel, and somebody attacked her, uh, what would I do? Um, you know, the nonviolent side would say, you know, be nonviolent, <laughs> but I still feel like, um, in that situation, uh, I very much would respond uh, in a way that wouldn't be, um, you know, in line with uh, my convictions. Um, and I think when I think about it, part of that might be because uh, although it's like a strong conviction that I hold, I think it's the right conviction. I think the New Testament is clear. I think Jesus is clear. Um, I think it is a result of the, the fallenness um that I still possess that my, you know, my, I would use language like my sanctification, uh, becoming like Christ is not yet complete. And because of that, um, you know, maybe a more, uh, earthly or sinful, uh, side of me might, um, you know, kind of take over at that point. Cause like you said, it's not something that's going to just change overnight. Um, and that's a, that's a difficult question. Yeah. And I think it's important to be really realistic about that. I mean, like, you know, that's, perhaps one of the most obvious criticisms of this perspective, right? Like, people say, I'm committed to nonviolence, and then the response is like, okay, but are you really, like, if I break into your house, are you really committed to nonviolence? Um, and so, yeah, I think part of it is that acknowledgement that it it is about growing towards that um, and developing that character. And then part of it is also, um, you know, I think we each have to decide exactly um what counts as violence, right? <laughs> like, um, mm, you know, like, for example, question. I would say that, that forcibly restraining someone so that they can't hurt themselves or others, I wouldn't call that violence. Um, you know, sure. whereas like, that's you know, a helpful distinction. trying to like shoot them to kill or trying to strangle them, that, that seems pretty clearly violence. So there are ways where we might respond to some, to a scenario like that, which thankfully, you know, here in, in the States is probably never going to happen to us, but where we might respo <laughs> respond with some degree of force that's not necessarily violence. It's not trying to hurt that person. It's not, it's, it's seeking the best for them because the best for them also includes, you know, not killing your wife. Um, it's seeking the best for yeah. them. <laughs> um, and uh, one really good example of this that, that helps me think through this as well is from... Um, Greg Boyd, the, who wrote the introduction to my book, and he has this idea about where he says, like, okay, so the scenario is where somebody's trying to hurt your wife, but what if the person who's trying to hurt your wife is your son? And how would that change your response? Mm. Um, and the sure. way that you would respond, like, you still would, would 
try to prevent him from hurting your wife, maybe even forcibly, but you wouldn't try to hurt him, you wouldn't try to do anything that could permanently damage him, you would be acting out of love for him as much as for your wife. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good example. See, to me, though, that almost comes across as just really, in practice, like a personal version of just war theory. Uh, mm. Because, because I mean, the idea is you're using, like, a proportionate am- amount of force, or, like, the amount of force that's appropriate just to, like, stop, not excessive force. Um, but, well, it could be just war theory, I guess, depending on your answer to this question. For, for you guys, would... <laughs> In a situation like that, like, if it really does come down to, I know this is a rare situation, it's a hypothetical, but if there's a situation where, let's say, like, someone's trying to kill your wife or someone's trying to kill your child, like, and it really does come down to, I either have to, like, pretty much kill this guy or my child or or wife is going to be killed, like, do you think it's ever appropriate to escalate to killing or eventually do you just have to stop and say, okay, like, you can do it since... (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I don't think that this is so, it's always so difficult with these hypotheticals, right? Because like, it's so hard to yeah. say like, all right, what really is that scenario where that's the option? Yeah, and especially of I think like as a, as a woman, realistically, I probably don't have the physical strength to kill that person, even if it seems to me like those are the two choices. Um, and so like yeah. not even necessarily having that option sort of changes the, the equation for me okay yeah um so like if i'm forced to answer like if that somehow impossibly is the scenario yeah i think the call to nonviolence stands um but i also would return to that emphasis on like finding other solutions to the to the apparent binary and saying like you know 99.99 percent of the time especially in like a you know, safe, nice place like where we live, that's not the scenario. Yeah. Um, and so to mm-hmm. make, to set our whole ethic on the incredibly slim possibility of something that will probably, of an extreme case that will probably never happen when we have so much weight on the side of, um, you know, like everyday commitment to nonviolence, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, the reason that's in- interesting to me is because in terms of i mean as a reformed person i have a very like strong two kingdoms theology so for government this would be a little different but as far as personal ethics go i do generally agree with you guys that there's a strong call to like stay away from violence um i guess i'm just i tend to be uncomfortable totally going with like the non-violent or pacifist label because i think there are situations hypothetical probably not going to happen for like most of us in the u.s ever but i think that we also do uh when you're someone who who has strength or power the ability to protect someone who's being like harmed someone who's like helpless i think that we also have a call to do that as christians and so i think that could potentially result in legitimate violence not that it generally or even frequently or will but I don't and know. I, so that's why I'm hesitant to take I on that label. I that call. It's just the question of, like, how does that function in practice? And I also think, like, as we were sure. saying earlier, that, like, a really, you know, strict and integrous application of just war theory, you are going to get pretty close to nonviolence. Like, that, that gap right, is not yeah. going to be that big in the vast majority of situations. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for me, too, as far as, like... Um, like my answer kind of to your question, Andy, would be very, I mean, 
<laughs> very much along the line of what Bonnie uh, was said. But also, I, I just I would strongly just emphasize that I agree with her that I think um, the call to nonviolence, especially uh, the call to not kill somebody, stands. And one of those one of those things that I think about um, often is that uh, chances are, if somebody is perpetrating uh, such an extreme form of violence against myself or against my wife. Um, there's, and this is a judgment call, um, but there's a good chance that this person probably doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And so Mm -hmm. me knowing that I do have a relationship with Christ and also so does my wife, if one of us or both of us were to be killed, um, like fine, I'm going to go be with Jesus. Right, right. Yeah, so from the eternal perspective, that person, I don't want to cut that person's chance uh, short. And then if you get into our conversation we had with Dan, then maybe you're not cutting that person's chance short. I, so I guess if you're a universalist, maybe it's a different, <laughs> it's a different. I guess that doesn't, that doesn't totally, jo- I see what you're saying, because I used to have a very similar thought pattern as well. But that doesn't totally gel with from my perspective, just because I guess of my belief that like, God is in control of that person's eternal destiny anyway. So like, it's not like I'm going to mess up the chance they had. Like if God's going to save them, he's going to save them regardless. You know, it's not going to change based on what, what I do in that moment. But, but I see what you're saying. Cause I, I did have similar, um, a similar way of thinking for a long time. Uh, what, one other question I wanted to pose to both of you and especially Bonnie, I'd be interested to hear you kind of hinted at this earlier, but, uh, um, from a nonviolent perspective, do you think that the government still has a legitimate uh, has legitimate authority to use violence? I know you kind of hinted at something on this. You said that Christians shouldn't be involved with that, but do you think there's legitimate governmental violence, and how do Christians relate to that? Yeah. So, um, again, it may seem like sort of a yes and no answer. Like, yes, I I do think. And I would say that, that for the government, something like a, a strict just war theory application is pretty good. Like, I would, most mm-hmm. of our, I would say, all of our really unfortunate uh, foreign policy situations that we're in right now, um, we've got like, you know, seven wars or whatever, um, would have been avoided <laughs> if we were, you know, doing a, a good strict just war theory um, in Washington. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, in terms of, like, sort of the, the, the definitional, like, function of government is about protecting people from, um, from aggression and violence, both foreign and domestic. Um, I do think that, you know, the, the justice system domestically and, and the military in terms of defense from foreign threats are, are appropriate in that realm. Um, but again, I would say as a Christian, even though it's appropriate for the state to do that, um, and even though, you know, we're called to, to abide by, um, to, to live under the authority of the government insofar as it doesn't, you know, contradict our, our commitment to following Christ, um, there are things that I, I couldn't participate in. And so I would say, you know, as a Christian, I, I could not participate in, like, um, you know, bombing Afghanistan. Um, I would say that I, yeah, uh, there's this great passage from, um, I believe it's Tertullian, an early church theologian, where he talks about, like, you know, if if it's not appropriate for us, like, if we're called to turn the other cheek, like, how is it appropriate for us to be, like, a jailer or a torturer or, or something like that? Um, so, 
yeah, I think there are, the, there can be, um, in the sense, like, there can be things that, it, that are appropriate for the government to do in the sense that that's what government is that are not appropriate for Christians to do. Um, and, and, you know, part of the, the hope that we have is that eventually, um, you know, when, when God makes all things new, we live in a world where, where there is no more need for, you know, more justification for the, the state. And so, um, you know, that, that sort of quote-unquote legitimate violence ceases to be. Hmm. Sure. One question. Do you have anything? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one question. I'm surprised, Andy, that you actually didn't bring up. I thought you for sure would ask this question. Um, and I'll ask it. I, I, I know how I answer the question, but I'd be interesting to hear what uh, you would say, Bonnie. How do you deal with, from a nonviolent perspective, how do you view, uh, how do you personally deal with uh, passages from the Old Testament where it sees That was as my if, next question. Oh, I was cool. already thinking All right, that. so it was coming. <laughs> I, keep knew, going. I know you too well, Andy. Yeah. But how would you deal with uh, questions in the Old Testament uh, where it seems to be that God is uh, either perpetrating, commanding, uh, genocide, you know, those kind of things. Oh, man. Um, that's probably way too big of a <laughs> question to, to <laughs> satisfactorily fun. answer, unless this is a like way longer call than I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> and I would say that I, I don't have like a, a neat, tidy answer for that. Um, Greg Boyd, who I mentioned already, sure. wrote the foreword to A Flexible Faith. He has like a, I think it's like 1,700 page, two volume book on this subject, right? called crucifixion of the warrior god which i skimmed in order to interview him for relevant magazine and then have not yet had the opportunity to go back and like you know read it at the pace i would prefer and really evaluate that like his proposal for how to deal with that because he's coming at it from a very similar nonviolence perspective um but that's Mm -hmm. a it's a hard question and it's a question i think that even if you're in the just war like pretty much anything but holy war um whether you're in, in doing like a principled just war theory or not violence, it's, it's almost equally difficult um, because there are some of these, these stories in the Old Testament where it just seems like, how can that be proportionate? How can that be like, like what, that was not your last resort option. Um, <laughs> sure. So it's, it's hard, I think, for, for both perspectives. The one thing I would say is that um, I don't have to have an airtight answer on that to know what's sure. being asked of me now. Um, I think the the commands that we have from Jesus in regards to this are are equally clear, regardless of what I make of that. Um, and so, yeah. it's not you know that the question doesn't matter. It's not that that's not like like it. It's an ongoing um, question to me for some to some extent, and like something that I I don't know if it'll ever be completely resolved, but in terms of the like immediate ethical responsibility that I have, there's a sense in which it, it, it doesn't matter. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, and I, I also, I haven't read his two volume bit, but I read kind of like a condensed version. Oh, I think yeah. his book, um, uh, what is it called? It's I can picture it in my head. It's orange. It has like a blue cross on mm-hmm. it. I, but hit that book specifically is pretty good. Um, but also, I I mean, me personally, and again, like you said, that's it's a whole other episode, a whole other conversation. Uh, but one way that uh, for me and Andy hates when I say this kind of stuff, um, I would take kind of a... I know I, where you're going already now. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I pull this. So I like a guy called Pete Enns. Um, are you familiar with Pete at all, Bonnie? Uh, generally, I, I think I've read maybe one of his books, but I have not read like his okay. two or three most recent ones. Okay, so uh, one way that he would answer this question, um, it, he would talk about kind of like that the uh, the basically the Old Testament looks very very similar to ancient Near Eastern uh, literature because that's exactly what it is, and so everybody uh, who was writing around that time uh, was writing stories about how their God was you know commanding them to do these things. It's it's basically the idea is that. Uh, they were doing their best to explain their situation uh, that they were currently experiencing and using like divine language and it was very common and so yeah, kind of which ha- go ahead Andy I was just gonna say of course a lot of that gets into view of scripture too sure. because yeah it does. Pete's resolution of that would I mean I don't know Bonnie where you are but Pete's resolution of that kind of issue would be um, like would inherently require a lower view of scripture than I would accept yeah, and, and but, I would <laughs> say like I some of that like what you just described some of that that he would say i would agree with but i i do think he i probably also have a higher view of scripture than than ends does and so that would not be my preferred like total solution certainly either Hmm. yeah that's that's completely fair um and then also too i just think uh kind of like what you got at um bonnie when you refer to like uh the teachings of jesus um, I personally don't uh, take what I would call like a, a flat reading of scripture. Um, I would hold the words of Jesus higher as far as, you know, their authority goes than some of uh, the other things or pretty much anything else. Um, and so Jesus's command to be nonviolent, uh, kind of like you said, is enough for me, even if I don't have those other things uh, fully worked out. Yeah, and I would point to, um, you know, there's a, several passages in the New Testament that talk about Jesus is the the full revelation of God's character and how in times past Mm -hmm. before Jesus uh, you know the picture that they had was just not as clear it it was not as um, it was not as easy to know what God is like and what God wants from us and so um, you know that doesn't say that doesn't explain for us how much of what we see in the Old Testament is about that lack of like comes from that lack of clarity Um, but it does mm-hmm. suggest that there is a lack of clarity going on there and that, you know, that that's sort of a grain of salt to be taken as we're reading those very difficult passages. Yeah, that's that's another interesting, I think, interpretive issue that brings up differences of opinion on issues like this, because I would and people in my kind of theological camp would uh what Josh calls it would take what Josh calls a flat reading of scripture, <laughs> which I know is intended to be a a knock, but we would we would invest all scripture with the same authority. And I guess I, we would understand that idea of progressive revelation mm-hmm. differently um, than maybe you guys would. I mean, I do believe in progressive revelation, but I, in, we would interpret that differently too. So we would, I think a lot of times too, our, our understanding of violence and the legitimacy of violence comes from our desire to uh, harmonize all the parts of scripture and what they're saying about it. Yeah, it, it's yeah. tough because, so, um, it, it, I mean, it, as is obvious from where this conversation is going, like it, <laughs> trying to answer these questions that you think you're just talking about the violence question gets you into all these other related territories that involve like such bigger yeah. like structures of your theology. Yeah, absolutely. There's 
there's no just like simple theological question that's not tied to anything else (laughs) yeah right Um, which is so theology is fun yeah so so bonnie i did want to ask too do you have uh maybe any recommended resources on this topic for people who are interested uh like maybe stuff you use to help you prepare for writing this chapter or anything else in fact at the end of every chapter i have a list of resources to learn more um (laughs) and so i i do not have like uh footnotes in this book but generally speaking like the the books that you find in that that list of resources are probably things that i consulted um and so i would i would say go look at that and i would say um and please listeners buy my book to do it um but yes do it but also one (laughs) thing that we'll put a link to your book in the show notes i tried to do um with those lists was to try to look at not not only modern resources but to look at you know things from that's good we have like 2,000 years of writing like so we should not be just reading stuff from the past 10 years and we should ideally not just be reading stuff from our own tradition like if you're an Anabaptist Mm -hmm. read stuff from the reformed tradition or if you're reformed read stuff from eastern orthodoxy like there is a lot of other stuff out there and other perspectives that are are faithful and maybe will highlight something that our own tradition has missed hmm yeah 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 and I Go ahead. Oh, I was I was just going to say, Bonnie. I think overall that that's a, just the the statement that you just made is a real strength. Um, I think that you bring with your book as a whole. Um, that uh, the the statement that you make, like the idea that if there is um, a version of Christianity that somebody can accept, uh, why do we only present them with a version that they must reject? Um, I just think there's something really beautiful about that, and I think that's a real strength uh, to your book, and I think. Um, that's really helpful and I think it's it's really wise and insightful uh, to encourage um, everybody to read things you know across the spectrum um, you know from different perspectives that way you're not just you know kind of getting into this like uh, echo chamber uh, kind of you know of a faith and I think that's um, I don't know I think that's is is beautiful Um, and that actually that idea is what attracted me to your book in the first place so I think that's a, a real big strength uh, of your writings there. Well, thank you. Um, I'm uh, my husband and I are expecting twins this spring. Um, oh my gosh! Oh, congratulations! Wow. That's so, exciting. So I sound very out of breath and, and also congested in this recording. That's why. Um, but so these are our, there you go. our first uh, children, and um, that's awesome. You know, if, congratulations! If 10, 15, 20 years down the line, they come and say like. You know we're just not down with this whole Mennonite thing we want to go be reformed like would I be pleased maybe not but I'd far rather they go be reformed <laughs> than like just become atheists like you know just stay in the faith sure just check out other traditions yeah that's that's obviously the preferable situation <laughs> yeah, yeah most definitely yeah I definitely uh definitely appreciate it and I appreciate too um I mean, even just some of the conversation we've had in this episode, you've made references to church history. And honestly, I think that's one of the strengths of the nonviolent approach, too, is its representation in early church history and things like that. So um, that's valuable, too. Uh, this is a good reminder for us and for our listeners to, to value church history and value the voices, diversity, not just of modern perspectives, but diversity of chronological perspectives as well. Yeah, really important it's a, it's a big loss um, when we and i think it, a lot of it comes from like not having saints in the way that like catholics and and the eastern orthodox do 
you know, and we mm-hmm. threw, really threw the baby out with the bathwater on that one. <laughs> That's yeah. a good episode discussion, too. We should talk about Saints sometime. Yeah, that would be fun. But also, too, just for, for listeners that maybe we've picked up along the way and, and haven't heard our first ever episode, the this overall idea of um, bringing different perspectives together to, to talk with one another and to respect each other and to learn from one another, that's like the whole reason that the podcast exists. Because Andy and I... If I mean, you probably can tell just from our conversation, but Andy and I are very different um, theologically, but we're also very good friends. Um, and I think that's healthy, and I think that's a thing that is lost, you know, within the church today. Um, and so, again, I just um, <laughs> I want to thank you again because I think your work is so helpful. And I, I wish there was, was more things like a flexible faith. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Josh or or Bonnie, any, any final things you want to get in there as we kind of wrap up oh man i mean i don't think i have anything <laughs> off the top of my head you guys have been pretty thorough here Gosh, <laughs> awesome. any, any any last burning ideas not a burning idea but i did realize that there was one question that we always ask people that we did not ask <laughs> oh wow we totally did forget to ask okay so this is normally the very first okay. question we ask yeah and it has literally zero to do with theology <laughs> um yeah but it has everything to do with theology. It's an important question. Oh, sure. <laughs> Andy and I are avid hockey fans. Oh, and so we always ask people if they enjoy hockey or not. And what your favorite so team is. My husband enjoys hockey um, here in, right on. The, in, I mean, in Minnesota. Can you not? Right? So, so I was going to say he, that. Yeah. He watches the Wild. Um, and right on. Okay. His family in the, the D.C. area here the Caps. Um, Woo! I, you have you guys seen the uh, there was a season or an episode of SNL in the last year or two where Chance the Rapper hosted and yes. he there's a sketch where he <laughs> plays a reporter who's like normally covers basketball ah. but he gets assigned to the hockey game because the hockey guy is out and I he's like standing by the yeah, court like that. freezing and he obviously <laughs> does not know any of the hockey terms and so he like keeps coming back to like <laughs> As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. That's about where I am. <laughs> right on. Okay, fair enough. So I, I guess we we have a need to to assign everyone a favorite hockey team, whether they're a <laughs> hockey fan or not. So I guess we'll just assign you the Minnesota okay. Wild since since you live I in guess Minnesota. That's fair. But um, I mean, I do have a bad habit of by calling default the the periods of the game quarters, which. I know they're not quarters because there's yeah. three of them, that's bad. but I can't seem to yeah. not do that. <laughs> yeah, fair that's enough. completely fair. I think I'm gonna Andy. Can I disagree with your assessment though? Can we say that? Bobby's do you want to assign fan? the Caps by <laughs> yes. default? Yes. No, that's not fair. Just because the Caps are your team, you can't just go around assigning them to I everyone. Mean, I when, right, I, when um, I lived in near DC, we never watched hockey, so I think probably the Wild assignment is more fair. What's up? I mean, I don't love that either because I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan and, like, we're big division rivals with the Wild. But it's still better than letting Josh get another victory. We've had too many Caps fans on here. That's fair. Um, Awesome. Well, Bonnie, thank you so, so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, For everyone listening, go buy Bonnie's book. It's called A Flexible Faith, and I'm sure it's on Amazon and a bunch. And everywhere books are sold. Yeah, all the... Is it is it in like physical stores it is. too? Um, although okay. 
it is really disappointing when you go to a physical store and your book is not in that particular store. Ah, uh, um, yes. But it is in physical mm. stores. Just assume it's because someone just bought no the last doubt. copy. Right, that's always That's probably <laughs> why. <laughs> yeah, so so you can uh, check out a physical bookstore if, if anyone out there still does that, but it's also available online, so get it. We'll have a link in the show notes to the uh, to where you can buy it on Amazon. Um, Bonnie, do you have any websites or blogs or anything you want to plug um, as well? Or? So you can find me at, at bonniechristian.com. Um, and again, that's Christian. We'll link that as well, bonniechristian.com. Um, and then I'm, I'm on Twitter okay. and, and Facebook as well, and both of those are you know linked on the website and are good ways to, to get in touch if listeners would like to do that. Awesome. All right, well, we will put some links in the show notes and uh, – Go check out Bonnie's book and her website. Uh, other than that, we, as always, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all that jazz. Just search Theology Doesn't Suck. Uh, for listeners who are maybe newer, you can find us online at theologydoesn'tsuck.com as well. Um, and other than that, any we we appreciate you joining us, Bonnie. And uh, I think that's Thank it. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, one, can I say one more thing, Andy? Say say one more just, thing, Josh. Just for the show notes, the um, I first encountered Bonnie uh, on the the podcast episode you did with uh, Dan Koch when you have permission with your atonement theory, um, you know discussion, and so that um, that was awesome. And actually, I purchased your book directly because of that episode. And so we are actually um, talking. People again. should go listen to that as well. We're talking again soon. Oh, fantastic! He wants to do an episode on, um, I believe biblical like views of the bible so that should be coming out awesome nice. sometime near future yeah that's awesome. great dan, dan was awesome he was gracious cool. as well and came on and did an episode on universalism with us mm-hmm. and we appreciated that so yeah really so so for our listeners if if you uh have been with us for any time you'll know you'll know who dan coke is from that episode on universalism so you can also find bonnie on an episode with him <laughs> so uh thank you everyone for listening if you made it through we appreciate you uh and as always see you next week go caps go caps